Welcome to a football show, Thursday edition. His name is Zach. My name is Braden. Welcome in to the program. A lot of stuff for you guys today on the show. Zach, how are we doing? I am doing fantastic. Oh, fantastic is great. That's a great That's a great way to be. Oh, no, it's not great. It's fantastic. That's, just, <laughs> that's a better word than great. That's true. Uh, the Athlon Sports preseason top 25. I also work for Athlon Sports, of course. Uh, that preseason top 25 is out. It came out yesterday. The Tennessee Volunteers, are they overhyped? We're going to get into that. Georgia versus Alabama. Can Texas A&M make the playoffs? So a lot of top 25 talk preseason. Never, never too early, Zach, to start talking about the preseason top 25 as I think that when magazines start coming out, that that is the start of football season. So I noticed this when we were talking about uh, a few of the draft prospects. You still buy magazines. Well, um, as an employee of the company, yes. no. no. Oh, <laughs> but, you, but because, you, you receive magazines. Right. You still collect and have magazines. Oh, I probably got a bunch of them lying around here in the home office. No, I, I love having the tangible like being able to take notes and scribble on a player's profile and look at a schedule and X out a schedule. Like I use two magazines throughout the course of a college football season. And I think the draft magazine is actually really great one to have because it's, it's great to get to know new players. Not that Titans fans need any of that. So a lot of top 25 stuff. I still, do you read books on like a, like on a, iPad or something? No, books are different to ma- than magazines to me. Magazines, no, no offense to Athlon or anything. I, I do read their stuff on the internet, uh, but what is, what is this magazines are something of? that 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 collect. Like, yeah, that's, they, true. that's true. You know, like I have old magazines that uh, we were just moving, and I found like all these old uh, Wizard magazines, which is a obviously a Nintendo Power and stuff, comic books and video game magazines. <laughs> now I did keep them. Because I just think it's fun to go back and look at what was being written about. Because at the time, there's no superhero movies. But in Wizard Magazines, they would fantasy cast superhero movies, which is pretty cool to go back and look at some of those. Listen, I buy the Athlon Sports Magazine for the article, Zach. Okay? I I buy it. I buy the Athlon. There's gorgeous art in there. Beautiful photos. In fact, it's probably what Athlon is different than every other company in the history of magazines for preseason college football. We actually pride ourselves on the photography. We actually do have the greatest photos, um, but the articles are pretty good too. Um, so again, the magazines are out, athlonsports.com. You can go to the website, check it out. But we're going to dive into Tennessee's in there. Uh, are they overrated? Can Texas A&M make the playoff? Bama versus Georgia, the best middle class in SEC history maybe. So we're going to get all of that. We're going to get into all of that today if I could speak. Uh, obviously Titans OTA, I had a chance to go to the, the one day you're allowed to go to one day of practice a week. Uh, so we got to see all the, the players. Well, some of them Zach <laughs> on the field on Tuesday, and we can overreact to all of the things. There's a lot of important information. I think everybody that Zach, you're going to lay out for the folks today that you just need to keep in mind when you're reading and studying OTAs with the Tennessee Titans. So we're going to ground everybody as we like to do on this show before we do any of that. Of course, we're like a lightning rod. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We we are four rubber tires. That is what we are. Um, all right. So before we do any of that, uh, special thanks to our title sponsor, the Kingston Group. BuildKG.com is the website, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. And if you're going to make a big decision about your house, you know the drill. I use them at my, my family uses them. We've used them to do big projects at our house. If you're going to make a big decision about your house, you might as well have all the information. So just have a conversation with the wonderful and amazing folks at the Kingston Group. Now tell everybody where they can find you, where they can follow you, and what they should do for this here show right now. Whatever app you use, podcast, you can find a football and other F-words that I host with uh, Michael Gillum every week. It is a fantastic, authentic take of two guys just sitting around. Basically, what we try to go for is two guys sitting around telling you why you're wrong, more than likely. Um, it's it's working <laughs> out great. Like why I'm wrong? <laughs> the, the general you. Um, the royal we or royal yeah, you. Right, right. Uh, and it works out really well. The ratings keep going up. We're, we're an unstoppable force. Uh, we got millions and millions of subscribers, soon to be billions. We're going to be like McDonald's. Um, many, many people are talking about many it. Many people are talking many about it. We're, talking we're about huge. We're global. But, and that is That's no true. joke. That's we true. are a global and we are an award-winning podcast. So, you know, speaking of sky's award- the limit. Speaking of award-winning, Stoney Keeley chiming in already. Got to have the physical magazine in my hands to read religiously for three months and then throw away. Don't throw it away, though. 
Leave it on the coffee table as branding and marketing for Athlon Sports. We do appreciate that. Uh, speaking of award-winning, uh, Broadway Sports Media, of course, is the website, as well as all of the other great shows across the 440 Sports Network. We do appreciate all of your support. The Gold Standard Podcast, trying to decipher what the hell's happening with the Nashville Predators. Wes and Tim do a great job on Club and Country covering Nashville SC. Uh, there's going to be a fantastic episode of Lamestream Sports this week. Ari Wasserman covers recruiting for, for The Athletic. And if you want to know about Josh Heupel and recruiting and name, image, and likeness, that is going to be your episode. So make sure you check that out on Friday uh, as well. I think that's everything, Zach. I think that's everything. Can we well, start talking you want about... To tell, you want to tell people why we're not in the studio? Obviously, oh. co- the Cast Collective is going through major upgrades, and they say we'd just be in the fucking way, so they kicked <laughs> us out. They said, stay home. We're going through some upgrades for the studio, which is great news for us. And then also... Hang, on, hang on. The Cast Collective will not cuss at you, though. The, the Cast no. Collective will not say... Well, the, they may cuss in... at you, but they're not cussing yeah, at you. But that's I'll valid. cuss at you. Okay. <laughs> the, I'm fine and with then that. On, and then on Tuesday, uh, we are going to have a fantasy center, fantasy football centric show. We're going to go through offensive projections for the Tennessee Titans offense, and then we're going to segue into basically: is there anybody you should really draft after Derrick Henry in the first eight rounds? Probably not. You can maybe make some arguments, but we'll talk about that on Tuesday, since Memorial Day is Monday. And what is the appropriate amount of points to give your fantasy footballers when they catch a pass? It is the most, it's one of the silliest debates I've ever seen in fantasy football circles. There is an accurate number. There is a right number. You and I actually agree on it, and we'll do that on Tuesday. That is, man, talk about a tease. That's a tease. Big tease. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, okay. Titans OTAs. So here's the thing. I, I was there on Tuesday, Zach. I did not see Derrick Henry. I immediately changed my win-loss record because you know how we sit down and we think that everyone should project every single game for the Tennessee Titans and every other NFL team. I immediately changed it from 11 and six to nine and eight, two losses fewer for the Tennessee Titans because Derrick Henry did not show up at OTAs on Tuesday last of this week. I'm sorry, Zach. I, they are significantly worse because he did not practice on Tuesday. Well, for those who may not know, that is obviously sarcasm, but that goes to this topic vet skipping OTA. Who cares? I mean, are we, is this not the most meaningless topic being gener- generated because certain players miss? So basically, the, you know, Derrick Henry missed OTAs or was missing whatever he was missing. And everybody said that he's holding out for a new contract and blah, blah, blah. Well, now come Monday and Tuesday, you have like seven or eight veterans <laughs> missing. One of them, Harold Landry, who just got paid. So obviously he must be holding out, right? Because that's what we're now equating uh, veterans who do not need voluntary, voluntary, (laughs) voluntary, who do not need voluntary workouts, not showing up, obviously are holding out for a new contract. Uh, I, what is it that you think goes through people's minds when they, when they, when they see that type of story and think that is, it's a thing that they have to talk about. Like, and I'm not talking about media and I'm talking about everybody. Like what, honestly, what do you think is going through? Like, what is the logic in your head? Well, it's like, it's like not parking in the lines when you're at the Titan (laughs) stadium at the St. Thomas sports park. Uh, There is no intelligence, uh, 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 no intelligent life found at that point. So, you know, look at at you, Stillman. (laughs) So at some point, that's what I think, you know, shows like what we put on, like the podcast that we do, any any sport needs someone to say, this stuff doesn't really matter. And yeah, this is matter. one of those things that doesn't really matter. Are we really concerned that Kevin Byard, that um, Kevin Bud Byard Dupree, wasn't there? Yeah, Kevin Byard wasn't there. Hillard Landry wasn't there. Wasn't, yeah, Hillard Landry wasn't there. I think Bud Dupree was missing. Danico Autry was missing. Are we all really concerned that they're all holding out, even though Harold Landry just got a contract? The culture is crumbling, Zach. Though they, the yeah, that's the big that's crumbling. the big thing, right? The culture is crumbling. There is no leadership. Uh, Mike Vrabel saying one thing, but w- another thing is happening behind the scenes. Look, I I think uh, I think it was Mickey Ryan today. I saw a really good tweet from Mickey Ryan. No, no, it was actually Terry McCormick, which makes it you know uh, very surprising that. The, the tweet was the players that are there needed to be there. And that's, that's what matters. And I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. I think that's it. Can we move on now? We can move on. <laughs> Cause I Quick. think the most, I think the most important thing that I saw, honestly, the most important thing that I saw as a 
non-medically trained doctor. Um, although that's an odd way of saying it. like I'm a doctor, but I'm not medically trained doctor. I'm a sports radio doctor, like as we all are when we watch internet videos. No, uh, Robert Woods, Caleb Farley. Yes, they were wearing yellow non-contact jerseys, but they are out there. They were doing work on the first two possible days that they could have been doing work in recovery from ACLs. To me, they did not look 100%, but they looked way ahead of where I expected them to be for, you know, middle of late May, kind of your first ever two days of OTAs this in this season. The fact that Robert Woods, he was he was favoring the left leg clearly when he made in cuts with that leg. But that's not the point. They would line like when they were running team drills, they were both out there in individual drills, in team drills, doing all the stuff. And I think the mo- that was the, the number one thing for me walking away, Zach, was to see those two guys running around outside, out, out in with the team. I, I think that's a huge step in the right direction. Does it mean that they're going to be perfect for week one? I don't I have no clue. But I thought it was a I thought it was really important that they were out there. I thought that was a really good sign. Well, not to mention Rashad Weaver, too, which we'll get into after these two specific uh, players. But I I look at Robert Woods, and if that's not 100% Robert Woods, then I cannot wait to see what 100% Robert Woods looks like because I was shocked that, first off, that he was even out there, especially with how this team tends to play their injuries and basically slow play people getting integrated into the offseason activities. And he was out there, looked like he was going full force. Granted, there's a massive Stone Cold Steve Austin-like knee brace on him, but that's okay. He looked utterly fantastic. He looked a lot better than some of the other wide receivers that are fully healthy going in and out of their their cuts. That is a fantastic sign. After the Bud Dupree situation, which, let's be honest here, different body types, different athletic types, different injury, even though they're the same injury, different recovery times and all that kind of stuff. But it's such a breath of fresh air to see a guy coming off a major injury day one of OTAs. Again, they're voluntary (laughs) out there just going ham, in my opinion, from the clips that I could see. Now you see more clips or I mean the clips you're, you see the real life. So you kind of get the feel you say, you know, you saw certain things that we probably didn't see in cut in cut tape or pre-edited tape or whatever. But still for fans, for the locker room, for the team, yeah. promising information strictly regarding Robert Woods. Yeah, and no, no, I think the only time you could tell was when if he was running, you know, let's call it frankly the AJ Brown route, right? Like the 10-yard dig, and they were doing that drills and I think I think I posted it on on my uh, Twitter account, at, uh, and and it's when he d- when he has to use the left leg to plant and explode on an in route, right? Like specifically that that leg in that route, you, you could tell he was clearly kind of favoring it a little bit. But otherwise, you know, every other thing he did, he was he looked fine. And actually, I showed it to I showed some of those clips to a physical therapist who works for a local company who's got a degree and he's a professional. And I said. Here's the timetable. You know, what do you think? And he goes, looks great. You know, again, this th- that's totally sort of anecdotal. And it's a guy that just is looking at a, a short internet video and, and saying, hey, what do, you, what do you think? But he goes, the you know, six months out, seven months out to be eight months out, whatever it is to be where you are. Um, I think that's a great sign. Caleb Farley was the same. Like he wasn't, I, I didn't see him favoring much one side or the other. And he's out there running with individuals, running with team, like doing the whole deal. And um, they they both looked like, at the worst, they are very much on track. And that, that I think, is the most... Again, that to me, that was the biggest takeaway of the entire thing, was those two guys look like they're on track. Well, and also, when you think about it, you know, Caleb Farley is probably in a total different, I guess you would say, body, probably compared to last year. Uh, he's yeah. Because you, you could see it, he's tall, but he was... It looked very thin and skinny. And now, for all intents and purposes, what you're hearing is that people are saying that he looks thick, he looks big compared to what he was last year. And I think that's going to go a long way. I saw something interesting that nobody's really talking about on the, the Titans interwebs, the uh, the, mm. the Twitter feed. You do have Greg, your finger on the pulse. That's I true. got the finger on the pulse. Greg Rosenthal puts out his projected starters for the AFC South recently. Greg Rosenthal of NFL.com and around the NFL podcast. 
And he had Roger McCreary as the starting uh, cornerback opposite Christian Fulton. And he says in his comments, yeah, Caleb Farley's probably going to be fighting for that spot, but he gave the edge to Roger McCreary. What do you think about that? Because I think that for all intents and purposes, I think it's Roger McCreary kind of in the slot and a backup role outside, and it's definitely Caleb Farley's job to lose right now. Well, I think that's a great question. Um, McCreary is clearly a healthier player right now today. Like that's just sort of like a general assessment of the two of them. Caleb Farley is significantly larger. <laughs> I mean, like it's, it's, a, it's, it is startling when they stand next to each other, how much bigger and thicker Caleb Farley, like Roger McCreary is a, a pretty slender guy. Now he's extremely fundamentally sound. He's very quick. Like even Christian Fulton dwarfs him a little bit. So I, I think, I, I think to your assessment on Monday show, about how, what expectations are for Caleb Farley, which is to kind of come back as Christian Fulton last year, right? Like, right. like the next next version of that. I think that's the right assessment. I think you want Caleb Farley starting. I think McCreary is a great safety blanket, but I don't think you want to go into week one with Roger McCreary as your starting outside corner. I think he needs some time to physically develop. I think his head and his athleticism will keep him on the field and as a factor, but I think he needs to, I think he needs to put some, uh, Get in the weight room and put some NFL weight on because well, he's, and also he's a, doesn't he's a small really guy. lack the wing the desired length and wingspan that you see from Caleb Farley, which probably matters to be able to start on the outside year one. I mean, the dude is like it. it like he I, plays I said this, bigger, obviously, but I said this last week on or last on Monday's show. Like I, I, I've never seen a cornerback last year in camp when Caleb Farley was there and healthy and doing everything. Physically, I've never seen that. Like, who was the guy for those Seahawks? I'm drawing a blank. That was like six uh, Richard four. Sherman. No, the the other one. It was like six four. Like the 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 guy that got called for all the pass interference penalties all the time. The other guy, um, the tall one that took the huge contract for the Patriots, I think, and and then ended up not being good. E- either way, he I've, he looks that big and that long and that rangy. And we talk about the uh, designated tight end stopper by committee. Don't be surprised if Caleb Farley is in that slot occasionally in that role because he's that big. Like he's he is huge, and uh, and I if he can get the wheels back, and he looked fine to me on Tuesday. <clears throat> excuse me. I think I think they've got a really nice set of corners, man. I really they're very versatile. They've got big ones and little ones, and inside ones and outside ones. It's gonna be. I, I really like their secondary right now. The uh, the other guy, Rashad Weaver, he uh, there wasn't a lot of clips of him, but there were some out there. And man, uh, Brent, he, Brendan, sorry, sorry, Donovan says Brendan Browner. That that's who I was thinking. Oh, about. gotcha. Yeah. But I'm looking at uh, Rashad Weaver and on these clips, and he another a third player in a row that's coming back from a season-ending injury that is looking spry. He's looking strong and. I am very excited. You know, we we talked about this a couple of times that you're looking at him to f- replace essentially for all intents purposes from what you gather as evidence of what you've seen him do in the preseason. Their pl- idea is that he's going to replace probably Danico Autry either next year or the year after when his contract is officially up. Is that what you got the sense of? So I will, I am very excited about Rashad, Rashad Weaver, just in general. I think what he can do for that defensive front, where they sort of need another body, right? Whether it's outside on third downs, like when they slide to Nico Autry out on third downs, can he play inside like Autry, like a three tech on a first and, you know, on, on I, I don't know I, that I, I need to see that part of it. Cause I think Nico Autry is a rare talent for, for his ability to move, right? Like right. Up, up and down and inside and outside, depending on the package and the personnel and the down and distance and situation. But just in general, he is a physical specimen who is like, you know how you see guys that are like that size and some of them like this, this is not meant to be disrespectful to TR Tart. It's not meant to be at all, but TR Tart is a very different body shape than Richard Weaver. Like one of them is significantly leaner. Right. And sometimes you want a Vince Wilfork shaped guy in the middle to be that nose guard that can just like, you know, clog up two gaps and play both sides of a center. That's not how Weaver is built. This is a like, he's built more like Bud Dupree, frankly, but like bigger, he's thicker. Like he, I I'm very excited to see what they can do with him. And if that means inside on pass rush downs outside on rushing downs, can he be the backup for Landry and Dupree and Autry? 
like that's where you get excited about him, right? Is that he could he could do they, all these they, different things. I mean, you saw it in preseason last year. He was being moved around everywhere. And I think that was the whole plan with getting a guy like Rashad Weaver, who is just so fundamentally and technically sound. I mean, you can make an argument that out of the 2020 or 2021 class that he is the most fundamentally and sound edge rusher because he was that's what he was classified in the class of last year that's to me was one of the big takeaways he's not fast he's not explosive but he does everything right you can get in you if you can do the hand placements the moves the techniques you make up for a lot of that speed by being able to do stuff like that yeah i think the question is going to be how many different moves does he have like if, cause he's not like Landry, what do we talk about with Landry? I right? just, the just speed, one, the speed rush, but he's like so good at that, that the other ones come have developed alongside of it. Like Weaver's going to have to be more technically sound and more versatile. Like he's going to need a rip. He's going to need a bull rush. He's going to need the swim. He's going to have to learn how to do all that stuff, but he should be capable of all of it. It's, he, he's been working with Dr. Pass rush for all, for, for I, about two seasons now. I, I am. There's very few, you know, we did our whole second year expectation thing for all those players. Go back and check out Monday's episode. But I, there's very few guys that are first or second year players that I'm more excited to see than what he looks like when they actually get the pads going in, in actual camp. Yeah. I'm very excited to see the progression of Rashad Weaver. Yeah. Should be, uh, should be a ton of fun. All right. Where are we going next? What else do you want to know? All right. What's next for Tannehill and Willis? Because on Monday, Mintergate was slammed, or Tuesday, Mintergate was slammed shut. And once again, oh God. we have video evidence of me being right and telling everybody the difference between a mentor, between a leader, and why you shouldn't freak out and why Tannehill was right. And it's gone. It's over. So what's next for Tannehill and Willis and their relationship for the rest of the summer? I don't really know what to tell you here, Zach. Like, I didn't think that was a big story. I think you want everything we think that Malik Willis needs to work on. We've seen that at both rookie camp and now in OTA. Like, we know that he's working under center. We know that he's going to want to work on play action, his footwork. I think actually, and this was interesting, and I think more than just a few of us were talking about this on Tuesday, and that is even just from rookie camp to Tuesday, there were some subtle tweaks with his footwork. Like the, the leg didn't kick out as wide. Like you could tell that they were working on the throwing motion. So the fact that Ryan Tannehill is now like when you go into individual drills in a rookie camp, like Malik Willis has taken the first rep with everybody, right? Like it's him and Quentin right. Dormady. Now he's taking the third rep and he is watching a lot every single time because that's the order they're going to go. They're going to go Tannehill Woodside Willis on everything. And that's what they should do. And so watching Tannehill, that's the mentorship, <laughs> like, right? Like, like you have a coach to mentor you. His name is the quarterback coach. You've also got a passing game coordinator and an offensive coordinator, all of whom are going to work with him. And oh, by the way, now you get to watch Ryan Tannehill literally up close and personal five feet away while he runs every single drill. Well, and so, then I guess uh, Tannehill had the, all the quarterbacks practicing no-look passes, which I thought was pretty interesting and stuff. I a couple of things I noticed was his rollouts aren't as smooth as I thought they would be, but he's also handing off, catching a rollout, and then trying to throw a rollout. Like, yeah, that I, didn't look that smooth, but I think that's just the makeup of probably not ever doing that drill in for like four or five years. You he know is going to have to refine anything to his left, anything to his non throwing arm. He is going to have to refine everything. Arm slot, footwork, motion. He's going to need a lot of reps to go that direction with the ball. The other direction, he, he's much more comfortable. He's much more natural. The arm slot stays up. Like he, I, he's 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 pretty good that way. But when they go the uh, when he, when they go to the left, that's when it's just obvious he hasn't done that a lot. And so I, I think, but but again, like the kid likes to work. He's clearly paying attention. When they ask him to do a rep again, he's he's on top of it and he's jumping on it. Like it, it again, we're talking about a couple of days of practice here, so it's not a whole lot. I, I'm just glad that just glad that the whole stupid mentor thing is behind us. It's just so 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 stupid. Well, I do want to ask you if there's any truth to a certain rumor. Now, Tannehill was obviously like five to ten minutes late to his part of the press conference. Is it true that he was stuffing Malik Willis into a locker? And that's what took um, us cannot confirm or deny that report, Zach. Gotcha. 
Well, let's move off this because I mean that was just I just wanted to say that I was right because you, I, you are right. Can never pass it. Can never pass that up. That opportunity up. Rate, review, subscribe. Turn on Always. your notifications because Zach is right. Always right. But I think we kind of both agree. And we've hinted at this before throughout the the show, uh, previous episodes. But the pass catching depth is sort of the best it's ever been, and I think it continually shows up and. You know, there's going to be different layers to this topic because we need to talk about the disrespect of NW and of Nick Whisper-Kakine, the overhypeness of Des Fitzpatrick, and, you know, we need to talk about Kyle Phillips, in my opinion. But there's so much to talk about here, and I think what we should really focus on, just real quick, the presence of Austin Hooper yep. as that soft-handed security blanket veteran that knows everything that he that you're supposed to do as a vet getting time with Tannehill and it obviously already paying off. So Donovan asked, what do you guys think of Kyle Phillips? That's coming. That's coming soon. And by the way, for those of you who need to know how to spell Kyle Phillips name, there is one L in Phillips. Just it's going to be, listen, I'm for, never going to tell anybody or try to correct anybody on that. And from this point on, he may have to legally change his name. No. And I'm not actually uh, Donovan. We love well, him. No, yeah. I'm, I'm not actually say, correcting. You. I'm just like yeah. stating it's going to be one of those things. That's going to turn into like an internet. You know how like no one could say Mariota's name correctly yeah. for a while. Like everyone's going to misspell. Kyle Phillips I, name. I've seen a few people already give up, say <laughs> that whatever my phone corrects it to is whatever it's going to be. <laughs> All right. So Austin Hooper, I, I think it is. They here's I'm not even sure I need more than this. They have a bona fide professional adult starting number one tight end. Full stop. Oh, breaking news. Jeff Swaim, not an adult. <laughs> I <laughs> it's not what I meant. Don't twist my you're taking my words out of context, Zach. Um, no, I I just think that there is a, a being at camp last year, being at, like Anthony Ferkser's a nice player. Like all of them have their nice little skills. This is a bona fide number one starting tight end in the NFL. That's it. And like, isn't that who you want your younger guys to learn from? I I, I feel like right now you, you're such a young team in the pass catching room, you know, pretty much the whole way through. I mean, Nick Westbrook-Akine is your, your most tenured Titans pass catcher. And Robert Woods is your most tenured wide receiver. And Austin Hooper is your most tenured vet tight end. Now you're... You're teaching Tommy Hudson. You're teaching Chico Kwanku, uh, Briley Moore, who's coming back from injury, which was kind of lost in the shuffle. He was trending last year really well. Don't know if he's really making a name for himself in this because he's probably still a yellow practice jersey. Um, but then you got Traylon Burks, Kyle Phillips, Des Fitzpatrick, Racy McMath, all being able to learn yep. from, I think, the experience of Nick Westbrook-Akine, who's never really given up, who's plugged away. Total professional, and, by the way. And the total, consummate total professional, professional yeah. that should be beloved by Titans fans for all intents purposes. Yeah, why and he does Robert not get, Woods is the same thing. Why he does not get more just general conversation. I know we had like the whole Rex Road thing where we joked about like yeah. he's beloved Wide inside the building. Like he's obviously liked inside the building because he's made it through every round of everything. Right. Whether it's a trade or a cut or a this or that, like, he is always there. And when they needed someone, when they had no Jones and no Brown, Westbrook Akine was the guy that got the, got, got the starts last year. So I, well, I think... Tannehill's comfortable for him. I, I yeah. don't understand how he, for the last 10 years, it feels like, the running joke for Titans fans or basically from the media side looking at Titans fans is how this fan base clamors for loser undrafted free agent wide receivers over and over that constantly fail. And now you have a winning undrafted free agent wide receiver and they hate them. They hate NWI because, and, but they're still, still in love with Mason Kinsey. People why? think why Mason Kinsey hate? is going to beat out Kyle Phillips, which you're no. not watching the same tape I am, but Kyle Phillips is exponentially quicker and faster than Mason Kinsey on the field from what I've seen. Here's uh, like, we can take each of these things like kind of quickly and individually, but I'll just say on the whole as a, as, and we've discussed this on the show before they are better at tight end one. They are better at tight end two. They're better at wide receiver two. They're better at wide receiver three. They're better at wide receiver four. They're better at wide receiver five. They're better at wide receiver six outside of AJ Brown and, and wide receiver one, which were, I mean, right now I it's, I mean, you have to give it to Robert Woods, but like, could it be yeah. Traylon Burks? That's the whole point of drafting him in the top 20. They're better at every single position in that room. And, and than, listen, that matters because Warren Sharp just put out an article right before we went on air talking about how 
the production from number one wide receivers has fallen off over the years, progressively every year, because teams are going to more put more wide receivers on the field. So this actually yep. could be a better offense than last year, maybe even 2020 and 2019, because they have more competent pass catchers. I, I just want people to respect Nick Westbrook-Akine. He's not an all-star, yeah. all-pro, pro-bowler kind of guy, but he's that guy that's going to plug away for the team, give you his all every time he's on the field, and he earned has earned the trust of the quarterback, which is so important. Yes, and he's I, reliable. I think all that's true. Um, just to give you an example, last year at camp, like the sort of running argument with a lot of the media members where we all sort of like pick sides, right? Right. Was like wide receiver three, four, and five. And I, I was wrong. I thought Josh Reynolds would be a serviceable number three. I thought he did a fine job. In Sean I would love to have a 30 for 30 <laughs> on that because I just am so curious why he goes to Detroit and does uh, better. What what happened here? I just so, don't know. So I don't think he was a, a fit. And I think he was hurt for most of camp. But I, what, I, what I was going to say is that it was like we all had to pick a team and like half of us were Chester Rogers and half of us were Marcus Johnson. And like, that was the ongoing debate. And like Chester Rogers would make a play and I'd look over at somebody. I'd be like, look, there's, there's number 80 making a play. And then Marcus Johnson would make a play and they'd go, there's my guy, Marcus Johnson. Like it was almost like we had to pick sides. Marcus Johnson and Chester Rogers would not even be in the conversation with this depth chart. And that that's the point I'm trying to get across here is that when, when you have, Traylon Burks and Robert Woods, and then you go down the list. I think Nick Westbrook-Akine is better than he was last year. Kyle Phillips, I think, is better than Chester Rogers or Marcus Johnson. You know, even Reggie Roberson is, is, is an opportunity to get to make the team. If you want me to address Des Fitzpatrick really quickly, I can. I, I am not buying the th this hype that people are talking about. I haven't seen a lot of hype for him, frankly. But here's what I'll tell you I saw. He is a better-looking football player. He is leaner. He runs the drills better. He does everything better. And that's what you should expect out of a second-year player. He also made a really impressive catch over the middle in traffic using his physicality to make a very difficult like diving catch. Now, I think it was Amani Hooker that was there, and I think Amani Hooker would have destroyed one of his knees if it would have been a real game. But it was still a very tough play and a, and a nice play to see him make. Kyle Phillips also took like a like – a, I want to say it was like a – six or seven yard slant route and he took it not only did he score there was nobody within 10 yards of him like he took it and just went, he was gone like right up the seam right up the middle and nobody was within 10 yards of him and i i don't understand this mason kinsey love i've never I've ne haven't really understood it for about a year and a half now i mean right now pk and Teresa are trying to tell this titans rossi youtuber guy currently that do not worry about Mesa Kinsey. There was 10 wide receivers that they played last year. Not one of them. And then Mesa Kinsey only got called up for like yeah. four or five snaps. So he's not going to make this team where you're right. It's exponentially better, but you remember Trey McBride, Deontay Burnett, Brian yeah, Ely, yeah. Uh, Michael Preston was oh one. It just goes, it's just a long <laughs> line of fan favorite UDFAs. And we got one. The Titans got one and and nobody likes him except for like a few select people. And I feel so bad for him, but he is the consummate professional. He's a nice player. I, I don't understand yeah. the disrespect. I, we need to have more NWI love shown out there. Okay. I, the Des Fitzpatrick stuff that I saw that they, they, they released all these videos or whatever uh, uh, showing Des Fitzpatrick. A lot of those balls were not very secure when he caught him. Now he caught him. And he only dropped one from all reports that I've seen. I saw, I saw one that he dropped. And the good thing was, is the body language afterward. That's 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 there the was key. no he picked it up and went right back in line and kept working, which is it, what you want. He, it would be nice if Des Fitzpatrick carved out a nice role for himself. I am to the point now, you know, I was really big on thinking that the Titans really needed to get a free agent wide receiver once June 1st hits, because I think that's what they're waiting for is June 1st. I'm not convinced that they are going to be getting a wide receiver in free agency unless someone goes down with injury. How do you, where, where's mm. your temperature at that right now? I, I still think they could use another veteran piece, but I, after seeing them now a couple of times, I do think that they're probably more comfortable with their room than people think. Um, I think a lot of it is how do they project Des Fitzpatrick, Kyle Phillips, like the bottom three, like I, like Racy McMath, is he a, a wide receiver or just a special teamer? Is he a scout team player? 
Um, I think I think right now they feel pretty comfortable with Nick Westbrook Akine and Kyle Phillips as their three and four with working in Des Fitzpatrick as a backup, like unless I'm missing somebody. Um, you know, Reggie Roberson dropped a pass or two and Rabel had some some funny one-liners for him uh during practice. But I I think they've got a pretty good room, especially and this is what I found like Chigakonka, we've talked about the athleticism. They are going to be extremely creative. They are going to be able to be extremely creative with him because where they're going to line him up, what they're doing with him, how they can move him around the running game, the passing game, like they are going to do a lot of things with him. And it is going to be really fun to see how they, how they work him in with Hooper and with these receivers. He is a really interesting piece that they're, they're going to move him all over the place and have him do a lot of different things. And that's going to be fun to watch. I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, just real quick, under this uh, thing, Donovan puts out a question right here. Do you guys expect Racy McMath to compete for playing time? I I think it's I think he's yes, he will compete through the off season, but will he get ample playing time? I'm hesitant to say yes. Yeah, I I don't think he plays a lot at wide receiver. If he's on the team, it's because he's so good in special teams, and they just want to have him as like a seventh wide receiver, which very rarely do you carry. I, I don't see him playing a lot, man, honestly. like I mean, I'm barring injuries. Because, again, the tight end room is so much different this year that I think they're going to do, and Donovan mentions this, I think you're going to see a lot of 12 a lot of twelve personnel. I would love to see a lot of 12 personnel out of this team. I think they've got the right personnel to do it. Hey, you ready to talk about some SEC football? Let's do it, baby. Let's do it. So Athlon Sports comes out with their college football top 25. You said that it is in a magazine. I saw that you even did a podcast talking about and breaking down the top 25. I did. Uh, uh, I'm fine promoting all the other shows, right? Yeah, Cover not? two pod. We've been doing the Cover Two podcast since 2014. Myself, Stephen Lassen, he's amazing, man. Um, and the magazines are on sale right now. So go order your magazine, pick whatever cover you want. Athlonsports.com is the best place to do that. They'll be on newsstands in a couple of weeks. Uh, but our but our top 25 came out, and it is sort of symbolic, Zach. Like, if you're a college football junkie like I am, it's sort of symbolic that it's the start of, like, the summer. It's the start of the talking season. It's the start of preseason rankings. And, you know, people are about to go on vacation, so you need a magazine to go on vacation, all that good stuff. Uh, number one, Alabama. And I'll just do the SEC. I'll do the top four, and then we'll dive into some of the other teams. Uh, number one, Bama. Number two, Ohio State. Number three, Georgia. Number four, Clemson. Number five, A&M. And then you got to drop all the way down to number 18, the Tennessee Volunteers. Kentucky at 21 in the SEC. Arkansas at 22 in the SEC. That means LSU, Florida, Auburn, uh, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State. None of them are ranked, all of which could be pretty good, minus Auburn. Um, and so there's a lot to discuss. It's just It's just a fun time. Like, we just... We just love when we put out the, like, we're very proud of the magazine and uh, we obviously appreciate everybody's support that goes and buys one because, you know, pay for good journalism. So now do you, do you like, do you think those are the appropriate rankings of SEC teams? Do you think anybody's too high, too low? Well, let's, let's start with Bama, Georgia. Cause I think here's what I'd say, and Ohio state fans hate it for you. But if I saw Bama or Georgia in a playoff game, I'm not picking against them, period. I think they're the best two teams in college football. I think we're gonna. I think they're gonna play again in the SEC championship game. I think they're gonna play again in the playoff for the national title. And I think we're gonna get like four matchups between these two teams in two years. And I'm sure everyone else hates that. I don't care. I don't give a shit because I think it's great football when they play together. It's great theater. It's two great teams. Great coaches. Backstories. Drama. Talent. I think they're both the best two. And if Ohio State's playing Georgia in a playoff, I'm taking Georgia. If Ohio State's playing Bama in a playoff game, I'm taking Bama. So, so I think they're the be- I think they're probably the best two teams in college football again. More, I disagree. Boring. I disagree. And this is where the hot take comes in for me. I, I get the sense, and it's just a feeling, it's just a feeling in my gut that Georgia is going to be disappointing this year. And Ooh. I think that Georgia's not even going to win their their division. That's are you, where are I'm you, at. Are you no, come on. They're not going to win you, the East. I I have this feeling in my bones that they have lost fifteen, they, an NFL draft record, fifteen picks to the to the draft, Ugh. and I think with they have no key incoming transfers, 
Only three returning starters on defense. I think Stetson Bennett isn't that great, while all the other quarterbacks in the SEC are probably going to take us another step up. Because we we talked about this a few episodes ago, talking about the, the quarterbacks in the SEC and how good they are and how most of them are going to take a jump. I really like UT's chances, and we'll talk about it here in a few, but I'm not convinced that Georgia is as good as what everybody wants to say that they are. Now, they may be great, but I just don't think that they are going to be the Georgia that you saw last year. So I, I don't I don't gamble a lot. Not a big gambler. I, I enjoy it during the football season, but I don't gamble a lot. Normally what I do is I wait for people in my life to stay really stupid shit. And, and then I say that point and you're and then I say, would you you want to bet? <laughs> uh, what would you like to put down on Georgia winning the division? Uh, well, I already owe you a bottle of bourbon, which I got to remember to get. You got to remind me to get that or whiskey or whatever you, you prefer. I just want to be able to say that I'm right. I actually don't care about the result. I just want okay, well, right. to be you right. You know, how about this? I will write a nice lengthy um, ode to Braden if <laughs> if you are right, talking about how, how right you were. I, first of all, I don't know if anybody wants that. Uh, not even not even me. I don't know if I want that. I'm a, I'm a very good hyperbolic writer, so I think yeah, I think it would make. No, you're good. you're wonderful. I just uh, I, I don't I don't know how many people would enjoy that. Um, I'll take two bottles of bourbon. That's fine. Okay. Um, I, here's the problem. They have the number one overall pick next year, probably in Jalen Carter. They have a quarterback who was top five in efficiency. Whoa, 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 whoa. The number one overall pick in Jalen Carter. You're not going to go with one of the quarterbacks. Um, I don't think Bryce Young is going to go number one. Well, I mean, C.J. Stroud is out there. I think Stroud will be ahead of Young. I think Will Anderson could be the number one pick, too, yeah. uh, at Alabama. The, the point is, is they have another flesh-eating monster defensive lineman that's going to be number one who does not count as a returning starter. <laughs> uh, they got five stars stacked on top of five stars. They have the best. How about this? You want You want hyperbolic? They have the best tight end room in the history of college football. In the yeah, history of college football. Who gives a shit about tight ends? What, 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 what oh is this, God. 1920 football? Who gives a shit about tight ends? Did you watch the national championship game? Did Listen. you watch it, Alabama fan, who got his ass spanked by Brock Bowers? Did you watch the game? Listen, that ain't going to happen again. You ain't going to catch <laughs> lightning in a bottle twice. And I, I just don't think... I'm picking Bama. I'm picking Bama. I don't believe in Stetson Bennett. I'm picking Bama. And I think that quarterback play is going to be super important in the SEC this year because I expect certain teams to make the jump, especially in their specific part of the division. All right. Do you want do you want me to do you want do we want to address Tennessee or do you want to go AM next? What do you want Let, to do? Let's go, uh, let's go AM. Okay, because AM's what's interesting about this before we get to Tennessee, because you're gonna you're gonna have to explain to people why you think Tennessee is gonna win the division. Um so just a second on that. I need to get my. I don't know if I, I'm really sold that Tennessee is going to win the division, but I think they have the best shot. But we'll get there. That's that's fair. That's fair. Um, so the top three teams are very obvious. There is no discussion or debate th that I've had with anybody, media, coach, administrator, me fan, nobody that, that disagrees with Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, top three. The problem we had at the magazine is that four through about 15 is all the same. And it's impossible to really decide who's the fourth best team. Now, I think A&M might be the fourth best team in America, but they have to play in Tuscaloosa on October 8th, and then they have to play everyone else on their schedule. And I don't know if they can get through that schedule at 11-1, and one, and then three teams from the SEC make it in. I think they're good enough if they get quarterback play, and they have a much better quarterback room this year than they did last year. So I, I don't know who's four. We put Clemson at four as the ACC champ. I wouldn't be surprised if Baylor or Oklahoma is at four, if Utah, Oregon, or USC, the Pac-12 champ is at four, if Michigan gets in again as a second-place team, 11-1, and one, the way Bama did in 2017. I, I have no clue who's going to be at number four, and I think A&M has as good a chance as anybody, but they're going to have to be perfect, and they have yet to show us. This is what makes Jimbo Fisher's rant so funny to me, Zach. He has yet to show us that they can be there and be perfect and get through it all the closest they came was two years ago and they got beat by four touchdowns by Alabama and they still finished number five in the nation. But I, I think they're very, very, very good. Can they be perfect to make the playoff? I don't know. So, yeah, I, th we'll I think the issue is going to be, I, I agree with you guys over at the magazine uh, talking about four through 15 is pretty much just a crapshoot. They're all the same because I look at these teams and I scroll through it. You know, 
I can make a case for USC. You know, they got that Bolitnikoff winner. They got Caleb Williams. You know, you know they get all these guys coming in. They can't they, get a stop. They can't. They have no defense. Yeah, they, they that that would be the key right there. But then uh, you think about Clemson and you think about their their horrible quarterback situation. They don't really have one. You know, the best their their defense I think was a big letdown last year in my opinion. When I'm watching film of uh, Kenny Pickett and other players, other the quarterbacks that played against Clemson, uh, Sam Howe. You know they weren't that great last year on defense. So do they get? Do they rebound back? Their defense is going to be disgusting. They they could have four first round picks on their defensive. I line. think I think Texas A and M can sneak in, but they have to get out of their own way. And yeah, I yeah. think that even on Monday, I believe it was Jimbo Fisher made an even bigger deal about media not reading or not researching, which I don't even think they legally can research the stuff that he's asking them to research. Yeah, no, name, image, and likeness. You can't. Yeah. You can't actually figure out that, that those contracts which, are which private. Which then makes me question him. If he doesn't know that, does he really know the rules of NIL? Did, did, did they really follow the guidelines of whatever is there on NIL? So that's a whole nother conspiracy theory I just have. Well, if you but, notice, if you notice every time he talks, he's like, I don't know anything about it. We followed yeah. every single rule. Like, wait yeah. a second, Jimbo, which, which one is it then? Right. Like, did you follow every single rule or do you not know anything about it? Which one is it? So my thing is, is that I think he is going to, he is now with that press conference to previous press conference. that so he didn't even really have to do. I think that he's going to, he's going to be under so much scrutiny yeah. and pressure to win, because if he doesn't win every game, you're going to have people saying, well, you know, asking him about this. And I think that, that little bit of pressure, can he perform with all eyes on Texas A&M? Yep. And I think the mental aspect of this whole thing is going to be what's going to be interesting to watch because there's nothing that can break up a locker room than press conferences that you see Jimbo Fisher doing, you know, stuff coming out because eventually something's going to come out, right? Something's well, going to be But here's the thing. He hasn't done anything wrong. That's what makes it so weird that he did the whole thing that he did. Like it doesn't, we talked about this on Monday. It's like, you didn't do anything wrong, dude. Like you, you're allowed to use name, image, and likeness money for players. Like that's how it, it's a, it's a, it's not illegal. It's not against the rules. And I, here's the thing. I think Texas A&M is, and this will lead into our, one of our next topics, which is sort of like, are the Tennessee volunteers the best of the rest in the sec? And I think Texas A&M is the fourth best roster in America. Wow. Can they go through their very difficult schedule with an unproven quarterback and do it perfectly, knowing that you've got a, a loss to Alabama probably coming? That's that's the problem. I don't like Arkansas is good. Ole Miss is good. Mississippi State is good. LSU is going to be better. You lost to three of those teams. You lost to all four of those teams last year. So to me, they have to be perfect, and I don't think they can, even though I do believe that they have the fourth best roster in America. Yeah, I, I, I look at it, and you, you say that they can't go a and eight and four, in my opinion, and be no. considered anything no. other than pretenders from here on in until they they show us right. Yep. It's kind of like yeah, Ryan Tannehill in the playoffs; they got to <laughs> prove it, and they, this is their best chance to prove it. And if they don't prove it, then Really, that thirty million dollars that they are supposedly spending just was flushed down the drain. Because no, they no, got... I think I think next year's the year. I think I think twenty twenty three is the year where you because Bryce Young will be gone. Will Anderson's going to go. Alabama will be quote unquote rebuilding, whatever the hell that means these days. I, and and all those recruiting classes that Jimbo's had will now be upperclassmen and sophomores. I think next year's the year. I think we're one year ahead of schedule with A and M. I I think they're one year behind. Next year's the year for A and M. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I'll be rooting against them every bit of the way. But a team <laughs> that surprisingly you may not think that I would be rooting for. I'm I, I'm here for Coach Pastor, Youth Pastor Josh. That's what I'm calling him, Coach Josh. Oh, Youth Pastor Josh? Yeah. I Coach Josh. I'll just call him Coach Josh. <laughs> I'm gonna go first name because I think that is just that's just looks he looks like a coach. Josh. What about Coach Dad? Eh, Coach Dad. I mean, that gets into like the Lawan thing, Daddy Dad. Yeah, that's that's, that's a Titans thing. You guys yeah. do that so fast. No, no, I no, just no, no, don't say you. 
Do, please sorry, do not say sorry. you. Twitter bros do that. Yeah. I, I see, I, when I think of Josh Heupel, I think of like just a regular old dad. Like that's well, that's I, why that's, that's why, why I think Coach Josh works because okay. you know when you're playing t-ball and stuff, I'm sure they call you Coach Braden or something like that. They instead of calling you Coach Ball. That's true. So they like, that's true. They do. Uh, they just say Coach. Yeah. Well, I think kids go first name over last name when you're a little. Oh, okay. Kid. Let me ask you this. Side sidebar. Let me ask you this. So you don't have kids, so I don't. Maybe if I if my children called you Mister Zach, how would you feel? I would say you could just call me Zach. Okay, I'm with you. So I cannot stand Mr. or Miss first name. It's a Southern thing. I don't yeah. get it. It's wildly unprofessional in the in, a, in an adult setting. Why do we teach our children in the South to say Miss so-and-so, Mr. so-and-so? Like Mr. Braden, I'd be like, no, no, no. You can call me Braden or Mr. Gall. Those are the two things. I'd, I prefer Braden. Like that's my actual name. Go figure. So what about Mr. Josh? Because mm. I just like I, Coach Josh. It just, just rolls off okay. the tongue. So anyway. I, I, cannot, I cannot stand... Mr. or Miss first name. I, it just, it, I don't know why, but it makes my skin crawl. Oh, I'm with you. I, I, th I think it's weird. Okay. But I, for the first time, I don't think that the, 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 the Tennessee volunteers are overhyped. <laughs> this is for the first time in a very long time. You're talking about eight offensive starters returning, six defensive starters returning, a couple of key incoming transfers, another year in the coach Josh offense, another year in the defense there for, for the new scheme. I, to me, I think a year to jump is in the cards, a major, major year to jump. Wow. And I think that Tennessee is going to show a lot of people that coach Josh is the guy. <laughs> He's going to live up to the hype. And this team is is ready to make its way back into SEC prominence. So, when was the last time Tennessee did not disappoint football? Uh, probably ninety eight, <laughs> two thousand one, maybe yeah, two thousand seven. We ranked them at Athlon Sports at number eighteen in the nation, the fourth best team in the SEC. So, number one, let's just take a moment to acknowledge how far they came. From Jeremy Pruitt to preseason top 20 and number four in the SEC. Ahead of Florida, ahead of LSU, ahead of Auburn, ahead of Kentucky, ahead of Arkansas, ahead of everyone else. Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, ahead of them. Just So that means two things. They're going to have to handle expectations this year. This summer, everyone's going to be talking about them. And Tennessee does not do that very well. Now, this is a new this is a new regime. This is Coach right. Josh. It's right. Coach Josh. Coach Josh. Coach Josh. He's going to get the youths ready. Here's why I like what you're saying. And I'll and then I'll play devil's advocate because devil's advocate to me is it's Tennessee. Um, the reason I like what you're saying on the surface is that I think the offense is it has a high, high, high floor. The offense is going to score 35 points almost at minimum every single week, with the exception of Bama and Georgia games. They're going to score a lot of points. They, they, we know what they are. Hendon Hooker's established. The offensive scheme is established. The offensive line is solid. I like the pieces around Hendon Hooker, Tillman, and company. I think they're going to be good. So I think offensively, they are going to be very good. I, I have no idea if they're going to be able to get key stops. That's going to be the problem. Defensively, I still have lots of questions. And this sort of feeds into our next topic, which is this is the best I have seen the SEC middle class ever. And that is why I think AM has a loss or two. It's why I think when you look at, you know, Florida and LSU changing coaches, like you look at the middle of this conference, Tennessee, Kentucky, LSU, Florida, um, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, like that is seven or eight really good teams that are all sort of about the same and they're all going to beat each other up. And that's my concern for all of them is can you get through a schedule full of like much better than you think like games and teams and do it without making mistakes? Tennessee doesn't do that well. Like they don't like being perfect and overachieving. That's not, that's not what Tennessee does well when they have expectations. So. Yeah, I agree. I think this is probably the, the strongest. There's a, there's a big, wide and for those that are going to listen to this on the podcast i'm i got my hands out wide there's just a bunch of teams right here in that middle tier yep. 
that are going to beat each other up pretty much. And I think basically you can make a, make a, it's like Missouri and Vanderbilt and maybe South Carolina are on the outside looking in while Texas A&M, Georgia and Alabama are looking down. And I, I think that when you, when you talk about that, someone from this pack has to prove and get their team to that next level. And I believe in coach Josh and I cannot believe I'm saying that. By the way, so so this is the nicest and probably the only time on record that I will be to UT volunteer football. Okay, so everybody right. needs to embrace it and enjoy it because this will be the last time it ever happens. So Tennessee's argument is the offense. They probably have arguably the best, one of the best offenses of those groups of teams, right? Florida and LSU have new coaches, but they probably have better rosters because they've recruited really well over the last couple of years. I think Mississippi State is the best passing offense. I think Arkansas might have the best quarterback. Stoney asked about Hendon Hooker, and I think Hendon Hooker is very, very underrated uh, nationally. 31 touchdowns, three interceptions last year. Extremely efficient. If he does that and they stack wins, you will have him in the Heisman conversation, but it's going to be really hard for him to supplant someone like Bryce Young or uh, C.J. Stroud or even one of those defenders without Tennessee – going undefeated. Tennessee would have to go undefeated at that. Yes. Point. Now Tennessee also benefits because they're in the East and the East is certainly much easier this year than the West, but Arkansas schedule is very favorable. Mississippi state returns more players than any team in America. 17 returning starters, including Will Rogers, who threw for like 4,600 yards last year. And I love Mississippi state this year. I think Ole Miss is going to reload, but I think they're, they're probably taking a step back. Kentucky's still got a first-round quarterback and Will Levis and, and a new coordinator and a lot of culture and identity. Uh, it it is it is so interesting that everyone is happy about their team. It's just so it interesting. Well, almost everybody, except for Auburn. Auburn doesn't count. Auburn yeah. doesn't count. But everybody's happy. Like Tennessee fans, you're they're excited about this team. Preseason top twenty. Kentucky fans, preseason top twenty-five. Arkansas preseason top twenty-five. LSU and Florida have new coaches to be excited about. There is so much to be excited about with this this league, and that doesn't even include the top three teams that are all competing for top five national championship status. So it is there's a reason Greg Sankey is walking around right now with his chest puffed out, sort of scaring everybody into. And I don't know if you saw this. He said we could just do an SEC only playoff. Oh, there you go. It would be it would be high ratings. I mean, wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be even maybe higher ratings than any of the previous college football playoffs? I mean, Maybe I don't think it's good for the game. I don't want to see it. But if you add Texas and Oklahoma, and then you go get like Clemson and North Carolina and USC, and you bring them all into a twenty-team SEC, and they go, "Yeah, we're just going to play our own tournament. See you later." Yeah, that that TV contract will be pretty big. But there's a reason the SEC fans are so uh, you know puffed up right now. So, well, do you want to get to your rant about the uh, about? You said you had a rant about this weekend. Oh yeah, not a, not a football show. Um, we like to wrap up every now and then on the show with not a football show. Um, by the way, Kingston Group, BuildKG.com, our title sponsor, Broadway Sports Media, Football and Other F Words, all the other shows from the 440 Sports Network. Go to the YouTube page and please support us by clicking all the buttons, turning the no- notifications on, and all that great stuff. Um, I I think I could argue that. My, my two favorite sporting events that I've ever been to. And a lot of them are tied to this weekend. So that's why I'm bringing this up. The Indianapolis 500 and the College World Series. Those are my two favorite sporting events that I've ever been to. I've been to, a, I've been to the Titans Super Bowl. I've been to the Final Four. I've been to college football playoff games. I've been to the Masters, which would probably be number three. Um, I've been to NBA Finals, Stanley Cup Final. I've been to all this stuff. I've been very lucky. The Indianapolis 500 this weekend on Memorial Day is my favorite event to ever go to. That and, is a hot take because I could I've been to Talladega and I could not stand anything about Talladega. Well, these people all have their teeth. So yeah. there's that. That and pro- how many of them have their shirts on though? It, well, that well, it's a valid valid question. Um th- there's a little like it's not like I know you like F1. Yes. So ima- imagine taking like the really really redneck out of Talladega out of Dega. And and inserting it with like F one European like models, right? That's that's the that's that, what Indy five hundred is. Are you sure? I feel like you're overselling it. I'm, I'm saying it's a middle ground between Talladega and Monaco. Okay, yeah. so if Monaco's over here and you're on a yacht with like nothing but like Parisian models, and over here you're Talladega and you're on literally a school bus with like 
people with no teeth. And again, this is pretty generalized here. So <laughs> sorry, but like the middle ground between those two things is the Indianapolis 500 in a, in the middle of a great city that loves the event. You can bring a cooler in so you can bring all your own food, all your own beer, all your own liquor, bring whatever you want in. You don't have to spend a penny to, to buy anything while you're there. And when you watch rocket ships go past you at 230 miles an hour, you feel like a, a kid again. And it is, I've been to nine of them. It is my favorite sporting event to go to. I absolutely love it. I just, just give it a chance over the weekend. Just give it a chance and watch it and enjoy the pageantry, the celebration of our troops, like everything that goes into it. It is awesome. I love it. It is my number one favorite sporting event. Hot take. That is, that is quite the hot take because I, I couldn't just could not imagine of all the sporting events that you have, that that would be the one, but you go, but you're a big F1 guy. So you understand like finely tuned rocket ships competing for, yeah, but there's just speed. no. I feel like there's where's the drama in NASCAR? Maybe I just don't follow. This is not NASCAR. This is not NASCAR. Or whatever it is, I mean, I just don't feel the drama. Where's the you, drama? You can't just because there wasn't a Netflix documentary about it. It helps. Listen, <laughs> I, I need to be invested in in this and the drama. That's why so, I love the NFL. So the 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 on track drama where you can't like touch. You know, like NASCAR is a different sport. Like you can Rubens racing. Like NASCAR is a whole different sport. But IndyCar is way closer to F1. And this is people all over the world, 350,000 people in attendance. Like it is, it is just an extraordinary event. So just try it out. And if, if you don't like it, we can, you can report back on Tuesday's episode. Um, you can report back and tell me what you thought. But well, I'd I'm like not to... going to go. What are you, what are you well, talking about? Give, I know, but just give it a chance on TV. Just oh, I've watched it on TV. Okay. I have, a, I have a funny story that I cannot say, but there, there was someone close to me that asked, where do they, t where does the Indy 500 take place? So, so, but I did watch the Indy 500. I think it was two Memorial days ago or two Memorial day Joe, years ago. New garden, Nashville native. He's an, he's a champion in the series. He's never won that race. Always looking for him to do well. So I just think it's great. It's it, it, you're right. It's way more fun to go to than it is to watch on TV. Gotcha. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. All right. So that about does it for us this week. We'll talk to you guys again, again on Tuesday. Special thanks to the Kingston Group. Ideally, we're back in our uh, Cast Collective studio when security gets upgraded. All the different things that, that uh, they're working on there at the studio. Uh, you can follow him at Fords Pod. You can follow me at Braden Gall, at 440 Sports on the YouTube and the Twitters and all that great stuff. We really appreciate all your support. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll talk to you again on Tuesday. This has been a football show. Oh!